Warning, this podcast contains no journalistic integrity. Welcome to the Gentleman's Soapbox. So once again, we're not in shortage of topics at the moment, of possibilities. We, uh, well, let's start with our good buddy, Yepix. Yepix was nice enough to do, to send some information. First of all, two ninety nine. He, he sent us some nice articles and YouTubes to prove two things. First of all, we are correct that our infrastructure is not set up for doing electric cars yet. I could have told you that just from the power grid in Texas. Well, yeah, but we now have proof. <laughs> <laughs> so Yepix was nice could. enough to, to to talk about that. And at some point in life, we may want to talk about the failing infrastructure of the United States. Uh, we could talk about the uh, wonderful war that's going on in Ukraine at the moment. We could talk about that. We could have a nice long conversation about... Good old Uncle Joe's speech last week, in which case I was my people asked me what I thought of it. And my only thought I could come up with, oh, look at the poor stroke victim up there giving a speech. Uh, and actually, that was part of that I found mildly interesting and mildly uh, humorous probably isn't the right word for it. But um, I had been trying for the longest time to figure out what was bothering me so much about Uncle Joe's speech patterns, that there was something that I just was picking up on that just really just graded upon me and i finally picked up what it is i swear if you go out and google uh speech patterns of recent stroke victims it's identical so that's worrying (laughs) isn't it but i had a topic thrust into my life and we're going to discuss it uh and it's going back into how why are we fucking up our kids (laughs) well there's a plethora of answers for that and questions so i'll I'll offer you two stories and then i'll throw you the soapbox story number one my wife is a school teacher and not only as a school teacher she has signed up that she gets what they refer to as student teachers which as a guy who works in medicine i think of as teachers on residency oh i'm sorry well they, they pay her extra for it it's worth it however the one that she's got at the moment hasn't been showing up. And when she contacted the professor to say, hey, your student's not coming to uh, student teaching, uh, the professor sent back a list of accommodations that were to be made for this child that has, all right, well, I say child, but he's in his, obviously, his early 20s. This student who... Uh, apparently has some emotional difficulties. And now, is this is it, does your wife teach at the collegiate level or the high school level? High school level. Oh, okay, okay. No, but but that being said, the student teacher is a college student in their early twenties working on an education degree. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I, was, I was trying to picture where where yes. everybody was. The, okay. No, I mean her her particular students are middle school students. Now, the student teacher is a college student uh, being prepared to become a teacher. 
Okay, fair okay. enough. And they got a list of accommodations that they're to make for this uh, student teacher who is apparently has some emotional issues. Now, we get the, the, she gets this stuff for the middle schoolers all the time. And it's, you know, obviously we're dealing with a middle schooler. I may not necessarily think all of this stuff is the most wonderful stuff on the sun, but the the larger world out there says I'm wrong. However, we're talking about a college student here, somebody who is actually going out to learn how to be a teacher. And the accommodations are that we need to be accommodating with regards to attendance and deadlines. How are we preparing our young people, especially our young college students who are in a career path to survive that career path when we don't care if they show up or turn anything in on time? Well, this is this is one of those things that I think we're slipping on as a well, let me throw as in a story country. number two and then and then I'll throw you the soapbox because it's similar. It throws in a completely different direction, though. My wife is also part of the drama program. <laughs> and, so she's got theater kids. Uh, yep, and she uh, and her theater because her her the middle school that she teaches in is literally physically connected to a high school. They decided to put on a larger production this year in which the high schoolers would be the main characters and the middle schoolers would be the background characters, and just do one program versus having to figure out how to schedule two. So she being there for the middle schoolers, some of the high schoolers were acting in a way that may be appropriate for high schoolers, but really wasn't appropriate for sixth graders. And she called them on it. And one of the kids proceeded to scream at her till she asked the kid to leave, in which case the kid's mom came back and screamed at her for a bit more. So then it even goes back into what are we preparing our kids for when we are basically showing them that it's completely, totally and utterly appropriate to be ignorant little shits. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and what absolutely terrified, now she's trying to tell me this story and I, I had to stop her. I don't even really know how the story completely ended because I've reached a point where these stories stress me out more than I can say, because everything from being pissed off that this is what we're doing to our kids, because I, I'm personally of the opinion, I'm going to assume that you're close to my opinion that. The kid should have been told, sit down, shut up, don't talk to fucking adults like that, and go do what you're told. Um, but that's not what we're doing. So part of it is is that we're raising kids who have no capability of dealing with the world at large. And the second part about it is these kids who not only do not know how to deal with the world at large, but also have total, utter loathing for us as adults are the ones who are going to be taking care of us when we're old. Mm, yep. <laughs> yep. So this is what I'm losing my mind on this week. And as this appears to be our running topic is what is Jake losing his mind on this week? I hand the soapbox to you. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> you sort this shit out. No, I, it's, one of the things, as you know, I have kids as well, and one of the things that I think we're – to address one of your first points uh, about the deadlines thing, this is something that I think we're, as a society, really kind of losing. We are not preparing our kids for what to expect from society in general as they go forward in life, and 
that's immediately apparent. I told the story a couple of casts ago uh, about, you know, art students and that they're coming out of school with no practical experience, no portfolios, no no real um, expectation of what jobs are going to be like. And this trickles down all the way through. Uh, now, what's funny is I think our at least locally, our elementary school did a fantastic job, fantastic job. But from middle school, my my sister is a uh, sister-in-law, I guess, but I call her my sister. She's been my sister for 18 years, so I, I just I call her my sister. But anyway, my sister teaches high school, high school math. And I get the same kind of stories that you're talking about here from her as well. And for some reason in this country, from junior high all the way through college, there's been a, I don't know, a focus on standardized testing and a de-emphasis of real-life situations. And I, I don't exactly know why. Because well, uh, uh, there's, there's a phrase that keeps coming from – uh, my kid's school district, which is also the one that my wife teaches in. And if I hear it one more time, I'm going to go punch a school board member. And that is connection before content. I don't give a shit whether or not the teacher has a connection with the kid if the kid's learning the content. Yeah, I mean, and I know where they're trying to go with that, but quite honestly, the, the teachers I respected the most... Um, did have a, I had a connection with them, but I had a connection with them because their teaching style and their content and their delivery and their, their passion about their subject, you know, uh, made me pay attention and made me respect them in a way that, that is, is un, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, it cannot be forced. You know, it's it's something that that has to be given from teacher to student and student to teacher. It's it's like one of those. Ah, I get you. I get where you're trying to go with this. I want to go there, too. And I think because a lot of this this emphasis on on and, and I think some of it was good because they we really did kind of get a rough ride in some of this stuff when we were kids and our, our kids, our parents before us. Uh, some of those lessons are are good, but I, I think in moderation really uh, is is needs to be applied here because it's education is about the kids being prepared, at least in my mind, is uh, uh, about the kids being prepared to take part in the living world. Um, and, and I would agree with you wholeheartedly. And I also agree with you the fact that education has changed and actually has changed in positive ways. Because I'm be, I know I'm a couple of, just a couple of years older than you, so I don't know if you experienced the same thing that I did. But when I was in elementary school, it was just then starting to become fashionable not to hit kids in school. Oh yeah, no, they still hit me. I mean, oh, no, no, I no, still I mean, got no, I mean, because corporal they, punishment. Yeah. I, I I had uh, you know teachers who had no hesitation to wrap you in the knuckles with a ruler. Um, yep. I had teachers who threw chalkboard erasers at you, um, yep. and the principal of the school had, which what I swear is much larger than it probably was, but I was young, an enormous paddle hanging on the wall behind your desk. And I got whooped in high school uh, with that paddle. Uh, I think I was a sophomore. Sophomore. 
Yeah, and it's sophomore in high school. So I, as much as I can say that the step away from what they referred to as corporal punishment, um, it was a positive. Um, I, I guess because we're always talking about the pendulum, I think that pendulum swung too far in the opposite direction. I would agree largely with that. There's there's a lot of stuff that uh, that they have now that they just didn't have when I was uh, going through school. Like I was going through, and I was a couple of years behind you, maybe one or two. And I was in the first workup program for a phonics course because I have dyslexia. And um, it, it was the first time where they tested me and I f- just failed it miserably. They did standardized testing and I just flunked the whole thing. And they're like, oh, my God, he's stupid. <laughs> and obviously that wasn't the case because they gave me a, an IQ test and I tested three points above genius when they gave me the, the verbal IQ test. But the written one, I had like Forrest Gump levels, right? And they're like, there's some disconnection with this kid. I don't stupid understand. He's a stupid does. Yeah, exactly. There's there's like there's some kind of disconnection here. And they actually had a teacher who had just gotten out of uh, uh, college, and she had a one of her things was in, at the time, uh, dyslexia education, and she had a specialty in that. And she's like, I know what this is. Well, let me. That, in, but even that was actually a new concept. When it we was a younger. completely new concept, and I was one of like ten kids in the school who went to this dyslexia class. And of course, my grades went shot straight up because I was able to learn. Right? Um, that's now very commonplace. My daughter has the same thing. They identified her super early in elementary school. Went, ha! She has dyslexia. I'm like, yep. So does so does her both her parents. And they're like, yeah, we got a whole class for that. It's it's pretty well done. You know, if you're familiar with it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm familiar. And they they got her the help she needed, and she was fine. But that kind of thing doesn't, like, I mean, it, that's a leap forward as far as I'm concerned. That's great. But what we left, but, and but, one of the things that we're leaving for that, or, or that we also got with this horde of new new teaching style is, is this no accountability teaching style? Well, what they were trying to accomplish when we were younger, and uh, once again, pendulum swung a little bit too in the, far in the opposite direction, was to figure out how to translate something that wasn't working into your brain. Um, it was still under the concept of let's prepare a child for the adult world incrementally of course that's why you have grade levels it's not like we're not trying to get a first grader to do the same thing that a 12th grader is but but that was the goal that as you got to the end that you were starting to become more and more prepared to exist in the outside world as an independent human being that's the part that i think we lost and and honestly yeah i mean there was a there was a lot of stigma that was attached to some of the answers that you wound up coming up with like if when i was coming up i'm sure it was the same thing uh, when you were coming up and it was obvious that you were not going to college, you know, that, that your grades did not do it or you were not interested in it, you, as far as they were concerned, in rural Texas in the mid-90s, which is not that long ago. I know it feels like it, but it wasn't that long ago. Um, their answers for you're probably not. Ago. I know. I know. Just, like, don't don't rub it in. Uh, <laughs> but it, it it's it's definitely – as far as the educational system goes, they had three answers for you if you weren't going to college. Uh, join the military. We have this auto 
class or, or auto school, you know, a mechanics school that you can go to, or uh, you can be a bum. Those were your three choices. Wait a minute. This is Texas. Cattle farmer wasn't an option? No, no. You inherit that. That's not. Oh, oh, that's, oh. That's not you know it. You I've, can't, wa- I've watched Yellowstone. I get that. I apologize. You can't be that unless you are that. Like, you're born a cattle farmer or a rancher. You uh, Now, if your parents make it well enough and they buy a ranch and they leave it to you, great. Uh, and that may happen in your lifetime. You could be a new cattle rancher. But you are not going to – that's not just like, I'm going to go be a cattle rancher. Yeah, suck it. You need a 1,000 acres. Good luck, chief. You know, <laughs> Even in Texas, that much costs I, well, a lot. Once again, I have watched Yellowstone. I should have known better. I apologize. Yeah, yeah. You can work on a ranch, but that's a ranch hand. And those are also uh, a lot of times the, the guys that grew up with whoever the kid is, whoever the actual inheritor of that ranch – those ranch hands are picked way early. Like you go to work with them in high school and the family gets to know you and you're now a part of the family an accepted part of the family. And you remain loyal to that family. Actually, it is a lot like Yellowstone. You remain loyal to that family basically through your life and they will take care of you because that's how they make their living because they know you're going to help them through thick and thin. Right. And they'll normally supply you with like a little place to live on the ranch and, like, uh, you know, a workhouse and, and uh, you know, you just become extended family. That's that's how those that's how those ranch legacies work, in te- at least in Texas. Uh, I don't know about other places, but around here, you you're not you're born a rancher anyway. So but if you're not going to college there, you, those are your three options, military, uh, auto mechanics or bum. That's really what they decide you're going to be. Uh, girls had some other options. You could become a beautician. You could become a uh, – if you weren't going to college, you could do beautician school, which they found very acceptable. Uh, you could become a waitress, or you could find a rich guy and marry him and have babies early. Those were well, the accepted and, three answers. And there is also the pulp. Yeah, but those were for bad girls. Right, and you knew a bad girl before before you're graduating high school. Oh, she's she's just no good. Like, she, like she's on her way to the pole. Yeah, that's that's Texas, okay? That's how that worked back then, and and that was really kind of the so. Yes, they were preparing you for the the world, but some of the 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 conclusions they came to left something to be desired. So for me, I didn't fit. I mean, I was a square peg in that round hole all the way through, right? I didn't fit anybody's mold for things they thought that should be done. Uh, now, if I didn't, because my father has such a negative view of the automotive industry, I would have loved to have been a mechanic. I love mechanics. I love working with metal. I love machines. I would have been a mechanic. I would have happily become a mechanic or a machinist if my father would have let me. Now, only now do I realize there's not a damn thing he could have said about it. We're done. I was 18. I could sign up for whatever. And if I wanted to finance it myself, I could have done it regardless. Um, and my mom would have supported me. But I didn't know that then. Uh, and honestly, I'd have made a pretty decent living. Not as good as I do now, but I'd have made a pretty decent living. Uh, but that was really the accepted logic back then, on, on its, at least in rural Texas, of what was acceptable and what you had in front of you. There's a lot more options now. However, to your point, I don't think anybody's looking at it the same because to me it was not a culture shock 
at all that when I got to my first job and I said something would be done a day or two from now, it needed to be done. It wasn't, oh, yeah, uh, I didn't get that done. Like, that wasn't, I'm not your guy there. Like, I always got it done. I showed up well, early. I, I, I did I know all you of those get, things. You're in a position where you get to deal with employees. I am. You know, I, I don't do it quite as much as you do, but I have done it before, where most of the young ones that come in, there is usually what, and I don't know what you guys call it there, what we jokingly call it here is a come-to-Jesus moment. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. At some point, there's a point in which you have to sit down the young new employee and say, you know, this is not acceptable. And you have to literally explain it to them that the idea of, yeah, I'll get it done when I get it done is no longer acceptable. That this is something – and, I, and I, it's one of the things that bothers me that this is the thing that we have to do once we get kids into the workforce is the first thing we have to do is explain to them that there's now deadlines. Well, and to be f- perfectly fair and play a little bit of devil's advocate, th- people had to do that. I mean I've had more than one come to Jesus talk in my life. Okay, it's not I, like I, I I've been there. But okay, now giving that the benefit of the doubt as well, you have to admit, and at least this is my own personal experience, and maybe I'm giving myself too much credit. I'll admit that, but I don't think I was nearly as surprised when I got it as some of these kids are. Yeah, I always knew it was coming. Like I knew I was screwing up. <laughs> I knew. This when, was when somebody not looked at me long. and gave me the come to Jesus meeting, it's kind of like, okay, I, I knew this was coming. I was just trying to see how far I could get. Yeah, Whereas no, that's there, exactly There it. literally yeah. are looks of utter surprise. Shock. Y- yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, there are. And and, and for for a lot of the – I'll be honest. The millennials, the older millennials are getting a lot better about it. But younger millennials, I am their worst fear because at the time I was a manager, director, whatever I was, who had done their job and knew exactly how long it took and what you should be doing and the questions you should be asking. And like I always told people, like if you're not completely nuking this thing and breaking everything you touch your hands, you know, put your hands on at least three times a day, you're not working. You know, like uh, it was it was code development. And it's like if you're not exploding this thing to the point where you have to completely replace it at least twice a day, I don't think you're doing very much. You know, well, <laughs> like my, you should be exploding this. My office manager is actually th- that I have now, surprisingly enough, is the same person who had to have the come to Jesus meeting with me 20 years ago. <laughs> uh, really kind of funny. Um, and she's still having to have it with the younger kids that we get to work with us now. And, but the conversation that she and I have after she's had to do it is, you know, back then it was, if somebody was surprised by the conversation or wasn't getting it, it was, okay, they're just stupid. We have to move them out. Nowadays, it's a statement of, well, they're just young. Hopefully they'll get it. Well... To me, and one, it may be a little bit of uh, you develop a little bit more patience uh, as you get older and you're able to see kind of what what's going on. What is this patience thing you speak of? <laughs> I look, I, I get it, I, but and I'm the worst one about it, but I've had to develop some. And one of the, the things that I look for now is like, look, I can teach you skills. 
Like, that's not what I'm worried about. Like, if you come on, if you're willing to work, I can help you work. I can make sure you get what you need to get to at least become sufficient in your job enough that we don't have to have conversations. I can get you there. But if you don't have the willing, if you're just there to put your butt in a seat and collect a check, I I do not have very much patience with you. I don't. I it's it's bad, and I probably shouldn't be that way because they, you know. But, and I've no, but but I I see where you're coming from, and it's kind of the point that I was trying to make in this is that I, it's an I almost can't blame that young person because that's what we're teaching them. No, that is it is, and and really. You know, they come out of school, and they don't have any ambition at all. And I remember having tons, tons. But, I always wanted like, OK, what do I got? How much do I have to grind to get that? How how what type of jobs do I have to get to be qualified for this position? You know, and you just kind of work your way up through that. The The disconnect I'm seeing now is they'll come straight out of school and go, well, I should be able to be a manager. It's like, why have you have you managed before? Have you worked with how many teams have you led? What was your accomplish? You know, what did you accomplish? What were your objectives? You know, how did you accomplish those? You know, how do you move a plan forward? How do you make a plan? You know, and they just look at you with their mouths, like making little fish gobbles, you know, like, like, like they have no answers for these things. It's like, that's what a team leader is, by the way. How did you inspire your people? You know, how did you manage the ones that didn't want to work? Like, and they can't answer those questions because they don't have any experience. And you know that, right? But you're having to to show them what they're lacking. They don't know because they've never been challenged with any of that before. And I think a lot of what uh, what's happened is the schools are just shoving them through there, just taking their money, shoveling them through, giving them degrees that don't matter, that have been – entirely watered down so they can just run them through i I wish i could remember who i just talked to somebody recently whose kid is just going to college and they are actually going to major in i shit you not social justice oh for fuck all right look i have a special view on that it's not favorable but well what job are you gonna do with that like that's my whole thing like i don't care like you can have a weird major or a weird degree plan I, I totally get it if there's an application for it in the outside like who has an opening in social justice how much does that pay well where does they where do you go i i the conversation i had with my own child because she's off as we've discussed before off on her way to college next year when she was talking about what it is that she wanted to do because she's also not just an art kid she's also a theater kid uh, she one of the things that she considered was being, you know, going to theater school. And I didn't want to discourage her from theater school uh, as much as as a parent. I'm sitting there going, whoa, that's a tough road. Um, I didn't want to discourage her for th- theater uh, school. But there was a conversation that I did have with her in which it was, if this is your dream, I will stand behind you and I will do everything in my power to help you, but you have to at least consider one concept. I am not going to be alive forever to pay for you. At some point in life, I don't know when it's going to be. I don't know how it's going to work. Somewhere along the line, you are going to have to be capable of paying for yourself. 
as long as you're taking that into consideration, whatever it is that you want to do, go for it. Yeah, and that's a good way of putting it. I mean, did it at least make her pause? It did. <laughs> because it, because at the same time, it wasn't like, hey, I'm going to kick you out. I've made it very, very clear to her that um, though there may not necessarily be as many luxuries like cars and cell phones and stuff like that, unless she's willing to pay for them herself, that as long as I have a home, she will never be homeless. Yeah, you will always be welcome wherever I am. Yes. So so there's not that worry of, oh, my God, I won't be able to, to have any place to live. But at the same time, I'm not going to live forever. Hell, yeah. hell, I'm a overweight diabetic with high cholesterol. I may not even be alive tomorrow. <laughs> next, tune in next week. You know, I, there's there's and that's an excellent way to put it, because it's. And we've told Kayla something very, very similar, but not quite as succinct as that. And I love the way you put that. And But it's it's something that you have to consider. And it was always one of the things that, that I was brought up with. I don't know about you, but it's like, look, you are going to have to make your own way. I don't care. And my, my mom was always really good about this. I don't care how you make your own way. I will I will support you. You want to be a, a truck driver, a garbage guy, a, a, you know, whatever. You be the best you can be. I, whatever you choose that makes you happy, that's great. But you will have to be a productive member of society and be on your own. So what is it that you want to do? And let's see if we can find an opening in that. Your mother put that a whole lot more pleasantly than my father did. <laughs> oh, my dad was ruthless, man. Because, because my father, which I'm going to make a wild guess, was probably very similar to yours in statement, was the goal is to get the fuck out. Yeah, my dad, uh, after... <laughs> no, 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 after... you, you, wait a minute. You can live here working towards that goal, but the goal... Is getting out. Get yeah. the fuck out. <laughs> my father, uh, after I was asked not to come back, and I think I told this a little bit, uh, the, after I was asked not to come back to junior college because I was on academic probation and then failed that, and then uh, I couldn't get in the military because I had asthma. This is during the early 90s before they were taking anyone who could fog a mirror. Uh I remember there was a day where they figured out I didn't enroll in college, I didn't get in the military, and I didn't really have a full-time job. Um, my dad looked, and he was like, he was just very, very succinct about the whole thing. He's like, "Look, you can't be a bum. You got to do something. You either get a full-time job, go to work, you join the military, which you can't do, or you go to school. I don't care which, but you have 72 hours to decide, or I will decide for you." And it's like, okay. And I've never, like, it took me a long time to forgive him for that particular conversation because it was very short. It's probably like a, less than a minute long. And I was mad at him for years for that. Years. I would say almost decades. I was mad. I was just furious. Um, now, I know what he was doing now. He did it. I, I, I mean, he could have he lightened up on that. Uh, or at least delivered it a little bit more humanely. Um, well, I, I th that's actually kind of the way I think of my own delivery on that. As I was absolutely. trying to communicate the same thing. I yeah, was I mean, just it's, being it's a like, little bit. But he was scared to death. I would follow in his footsteps, which his father had to do almost the same thing. Only the only thing that saved my dad is there was a war going on and he literally got drafted. 
because he was a bum on his father's couch but, and he didn't have but anything. circling back around is this are we not coming back to the same thing of we as parents and now you and i may be hopefully doing this right now I will not by any stretch of the imagination claim to be the perfect parent. My kid hates me more times than I can count. Oh, that means you're doing good. You're doing Uh, good. (laughs) But but at the same time, as much as you and I may be trying to do that for our kids, hopefully a little bit nicer than what our parents did for us, there seems to be within our generation a lack of doing that for our kids of making sure they recognize that at some point the goal is to get out. <laughs> I, well, I think a lot of that has, has changed, you know, the, there, uh, there's a lot of people for, for the, for the record, for anybody who's listening, if, if you actually do listen, um, I'm blaming us for this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would uh, yeah. say that our, our parents did it correctly though, a little bit on the mean side. My generation, our generation, and maybe just the one that's a slightly older than us, has Fucked not it up. It has not done this to the point where kids are not being recognizing the idea that at some point they need to be a productive part of society. And it's not that society needs to produce for them, but that they need to produce for society. Largely, I think older Gen X and younger boomer i think there's this this swath of people in there because the older boomers did not do this right our parents did not do that to us but they were pretty harsh about it and i think there was a some kind of swing in there where they're like i am not gonna do what my parents did to me to my kids i will not kick them out because i mean you knew i mean i it didn't happen to you it didn't happen to me but you knew people who they turned 18 their parents kicked them out well, but but at the same time is, I I understand that concept. I'm not going to do to my kids it. what I my said, parents did to me. Right. But with that said, I think those of us who have hopefully made it work altered that slightly to, I'm not going to treat my kids the same way my parents treated me, but the goal is still the same. I would say that's probably correct. Uh, I I just. Like you, like I said, you knew people who got kicked out. You knew people whose parents were like, well, you're on your own and screw you too. You know, like, I mean, we're going to go party because you're an adult now and fuck you. Like you, you knew those people. I'm married to one of those people. So, and a lot of times if you were a guy, the answer was, well, I guess I'll join the army or or something like that. Right. Because they didn't have anywhere else to go. They didn't do anything. And a lot of times that was the only other option you can have because they'll pay for you. You get some place to eat and sleep and and they pay you while you're there. And it's it's the only other option you have sometimes in some locations. So that wasn't something that a large generation wanted to do to their kids. Now, I think what got lost in there is the the overall goal, like you're saying, to get out. But really, the. That whole process and that getting out means you're a productive member of society. And to be a productive member of society, you need skills that go along with that. You need to be able to take care of yourself. You need to be able to take care of your things. You need to be able to take care of a budget and learn to work at a job and be fairly uh, efficient enough and, and skilled enough at that job that you keep it long enough to get another one. 
if that's your your choice or whatever. Uh, all of those things, you need to learn how to eat. You need to learn how to clean. You need to learn how to, to fix broken things or what you do. You need to learn all these things to be a productive member of society. It's not just book learning. It's all of these life skills that you need. And I think a lot of that because of this confluence of factors like uh, technology has made it significantly easier to to be alive. Um, retail and stores and food and manufacturing have made it easier that you can not learn these these things. And our disposable society, which don't get me started on that, on if something breaks, just throw it away, get another one. Uh, if, you know, all of these things and plus the, you throw in parents didn't teach a lot of their children. They were working, they weren't home. The, the kid had to be left alone, right. In a lot of cases or, or they didn't get the supervision or the support they needed to, to learn these skills. Uh, cause in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, there's no such thing as quality time. There's just time. Your kid gets to know you and have your values and learn things from you by being around you good or bad. That's what they do. And there's teachable moments in there for sure. Uh, but you, in order to benefit from any wisdom you have to give, you have to be around and you have to, to, to strike when, when that, when they're in the mood <laughs> or they're, they're in a, in a state that allows them to be, you know, taught and led, you have to be there to, to do that. And you have to take advantage of that. And I think a lot of that didn't happen with, with late boomers and early Gen X. It just didn't happen. People weren't home and people didn't put that same value on it because they didn't place that same value on it. And there's this whole generation of kids now that are grown up and have children themselves in some cases now that don't, have the same values that their parents grew up with. They don't know how to. Are I know people who live that, in this. Are you suggesting that Farrah Abraham is not a good role model? <sighs> Farrah Abraham is not a role model for anything. <laughs> I had to throw that in there. I Ever. apologize. Continue. I hate that chick. Um, anyway. I apologize. That just I had to throw that in there just because I, I knew it would mess with Sean. So go, please continue. I apologize I for that so interruption. Much. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean it's it's people have have gone and and they I, like I have people who live near me, neighbors, who don't own a box of tools. I know that sounds weird. Uh, the like I, I would make that some kind of statement. Well. What happens when something breaks in your house? What happens when the door is squeaky? Or what happens when, you know, you have to fix something? Like if you're a homeowner, you need to fix stuff eventually. Unless you make enough money, you can just pay people to do everything for you or live with broken things, right? Well, I mean, there there is the third option, which is what goes on in my house, which is uh, I, I try to fix it, make it worse, beat it to death with a hammer, <laughs> and then go get a new one. Same difference, but okay. So you're, so, you're at so least getting, taking care of stuff. I'm, I'm right? getting the A for the effort. You're, you get a you get a B plus for it. I'll give you B plus for effort. But there's there's an entire generation of people who don't know how to cook at home. They don't know how to make oh. anything. They don't how to make anything. Buy everything. They go out for every meal they have. They don't know how to cook shit. They don't know how to budget 
you know, meal. They they eat half their paycheck. They go out and they buy nine dollar coffee. I'm like, what are you doing? What? How much do you you make thirty two thousand dollars a year? You are buying nine dollar coffee twice a day. What is wrong with you? Do you live? No, I live. Yeah, uh, uh, my parents have. I'm like, ah, that's why, right? Your parents are not doing you any favors. Like, live at home and drink, you know. And it's it's stupid. It's these stupid little things. And they drive a car that costs seven hundred dollars a month. You know, oh, they're just out of school. They get their first check and they go buy a BMW 3 Series. You know, and what are you doing? Like, what is that? Oh, it's a lease. I don't have to worry about anything. No, you should be. You have to worry about your mental health. What is wrong with you? There, it's it's this weird, this weird setup we've got going, and I don't, I don't understand. Like, what out of school when you've purchased your first new vehicle, first new vehicle, like you're financed the entire thing yourself, nobody co-signed for you. What was it? Volkswagen Jetta. Yeah. Okay. Mine was a Dodge Dakota four-cylinder truck. And, and and wait a minute, and the Volkswagen Jetta was on sale for a certain number of mo- money down a certain number of dollars a month, and it was like, holy shit, that's actually something I might be able to afford. Yeah, oh, yeah, mine was uh, mine was several thousand dollars. On. Now, uh, uh, last one, and because it was an option at the time, not something you just got, I did not pay for automatic, and I drove that stick shift, damn it. Uh, mine was a stick shift as well. It was a four-cylinder stick shift, 1998 Dodge Dakota, and it was color changed blue and purple, Ooh, which most classy. of the time it looked, yeah, it looked amethyst. Uh, and at the time in the late 90s, nobody wanted to drive a purple truck. They could not sell it. They marked it down $1,500, and I went in with uh, several thousand dollars because I one of my rules because uh, I was. Uh, going to try and get engaged to Shannon at the time, and I had several rules of things I needed to do to get married. One, I had to have a job, full-time job that paid my bills. Two, I had to have a reliable vehicle. Three, I had some place to put her, so I got the cheapest apartment I could find. Uh, and then uh, the, with the new vehicle, and I had to have a certain amount of money in the bank before I would propose to her. Because those are all the rules I've written down. I mean, it sounds stupid, but it's it's like, look, I need to be able to provide for you and make sure that you're you're safe and comfortable. Now, I bought the cheapest vehicle I could find. I bought the cheapest apartment I could find. I mean, like all the stuff. I barely made the amount of money I wanted to have in the bank before I asked her to marry me. All, and, all that and, stuff. And here comes the funny part. And as I don't know if that person's listening to this show or not, but there is also a person out there today who would have heard what you just said and said, oh, my God, how arrogantly toxically masculine can you have been to think that you had to provide these things for your wife? I I mean, I guess, and I know the type of person you're talking about. I just – I. I wanted her to feel safe and happy. And uh, no, I, see, I, you I know. agree with you, and I'm also of the generation who very much thinks that as the man of the house, that it, that's that's my job. <laughs> I mean, is she okay? Does she feel like I don't, I don't want her to f- constantly feel like we're in danger of losing the apartment or we're, you know, our car's gonna break down. What are we gonna do? You know, I didn't want any of that. Like, if worse comes to worse and her truck broke down, here, take my truck. You know, at least you'll be okay. You know, like that was always my thing. At least you'll be okay. So I bought the cheapest truck I could find. I think it was by the time I got done with tax title and license, I think it was like fourteen grand. 
which That's about what my Jetta cost, which wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't uh, the world any stuff, but it had heat and air that worked. It was a standard, but I mean, it had a reliable engine. It had, it was a, it wasn't even a like a double cab. It was like an extended cab with one of the like if you wanted to sit a person back there, you had to sit sideways. You know, would you put your feet, you know, the other way? <laughs> so, I mean, it wasn't a lot of truck, but it was it was something, and it was brand new. It had a warranty up to sixty thousand miles. It had fourteen or fifteen miles when I picked it up. It was a new car. Now, did your father help you with this purchase? He did not. Oh, see, um, my, mine did, and I don't mean financially. Define help. If, oh, okay. and I don't mean financially, because I, as as you said, this was something that I had never done before. I'd never been through this process before. So my father helped me. Not only that, but uh, the one thing he did have to do because I was a kid with zero credit was he had to co-sign the loan. Oh, I hate those. Uh, yeah. Well, but. <laughs> Unfortunately, and I, and I got a good bit of this from my father. My father is what you would call a pain in the ass. <laughs> so he he goes through helping me negotiate the entire deal on the car. And then when we're finally there to sign for it, he's trying to figure out what more he can deal to get into this car. Now, we've already dealt every option with except for the fact that it's still a standard transmission, which is what I actually wanted anyway. Um, into this car, and it's to the point where the guy is sitting there with the entire contract thing laid out in front of us, kind of looking at us like, what fucking more do you want? And I'm looking at my father going, Dad, can I just please sign this so I can be excited about my new car? And he's still trying to figure out what it is that he could get out of this. And his final thing that he ends up wrangling out of this thing, and he even said, he was even honest about it. I just want to be able to feel like I won. I won something. That, that, <laughs> that, he had a, so the, the final thing was he ended up negotiating himself a Volkswagen ball cap. <laughs> I, want, I want a trophy. Yeah. So, I mean, eventually I was allowed to sign the piece of paper, but it was kind of like, Dad, you, get, you know, they, they've, they've given us what we want. It's worked it into the budget that we talked about. You know, can I sign now, please? <laughs> well, the, the only thing is my mom drove me because I sold my car um, the day before. I sold my, my car that I was getting into the day before, so I had to go and get a new car. Uh, so I had that was part of my down payment. Uh, I done the exact same thing. And my mom drove me down there, and I remember her coaching me. Now she did coach me on how to do this and how to, but she sat in the little waiting room with a cup of coffee and a book the entire time, right? But as she's going, as we're going to the the uh, to to buy the car, to, so she can you know drop me off and everything like that. Um, she's like, remember no. Remember, my mother is is a very proper person, and she's she's the most wonderful person in the world, and I love her to death. But she has probably cussed in front of me like six times in my life. We're driving, and I'm 21 at the time. We're driving. This is my first new car. We're driving to the car dealership. It's just the one local in town. And she's like, now remember, Nani. That's what I go by back home is Nani. Remember, Nani. They will fuck you straight in the ass at the car dealership if you let them. They will just fuck you. They will bend you. Whoa. Whoa, Ma. But she got her point across. She did. And, and she's and, like. And know. the best part about this is that 
this was this was a lesson that we learned and we figured out how to do this in the future versus uh three cars in going dad can you come help me buy a car yeah and and uh, you know can you sign for the because i i did good my mom um took me to uh and this is something she did for me that i didn't know how helpful it would be at the time when i was 18 years old she took me down to and i know you're gonna laugh at this but she took me down to jc Penney's and got me a store card and I, then I, I know exactly what you're talking about and i wish my parents had done the same thing for me and so when i needed slacks or a suit or whatever it was for upcoming things and interviews and and just ge- school stuff in general or uh you know clothes in general i would buy it at jc penny and pay off the card and it built credit that's why i didn't need my parents to sign for me for my first vehicle i had credit not a lot and it was a 500 dollars store account which i wasn't cleared for anything else but but over the years, it got to, you know, like by the time I was buying my truck, uh, I probably had about a $1,500 limit. Now, I didn't use any of that, and I, I always paid it off, you know, after a month or two, and, and it was fine. But I had a credit limit, and I had credit built up. So uh, the only other thing I did is when I got done with the paperwork, she told me some of the stuff to look out for. I brought the paperwork to my mom, and she looked it over, and she goes, yeah, you did pretty good. You probably could have got a couple hundred dollars, you know, here or there. But, uh, you know, overall, I, I would sign this. This is you did. You did OK. And I ran back and signed it, <laughs> signed it and not everything was good. Um, but that was that's something that that I think a lot of kids like if I have walked, if I have whiffed at a BMW dealer. At, at that point, my mom would have smacked me. I mean, like, I, what are you doing? I, I at least you know? would have gotten a what the fuck are you thinking? Oh, it's just like this is unreliable. It's too expensive. You could buy three vehicles for what it would cost you for this thing. Like I didn't own a luxury car until I was in my 40s, and I only had one, and I'm never going to do it again. I loved it. It didn't burn me, but the maintenance on it kills you. The maintenance on a Mercedes-Benz, just in case you don't – in case you're wondering, the maintenance on a Mercedes is diabolical. Um, any And BMWs are worse. Just – Stay away from them. <laughs> Buy a really nice Lexus. Okay? It costs less money. It's way more reliable because it's Toyota underneath. Anyway, um, but that kind of thing, those lessons, I, I think, to, to go back to my point, those lessons are largely lost. I don't think a lot of people are doing that now. Like they're not – you're not doing your kid any favors fighting all these battles for them. They need to, to experience life. And they need to, uh, I mean, you need to screw up. You need to, you need to learn. And some of those lessons are very expensive and, and you don't want to like the, the first new car and the, you know, first home you buy and everything. And, and all those things are, are lessons that are too expensive to really let somebody screw up with. And these kids are just going, yeah, you know, I knew people at 24, 25 who were buying 3,500 square foot homes with double mortgages on them. And balloon payments and all the adjustables and all that kind of stuff. And then and it was all fun and games until 2008. <laughs> Not a single one of them were in the same house. Now, that sucker got repossessed. Right? <laughs> I did not buy my limits. You know, I bought way less house at the time than all my friends were having. And, you know, I, I'm the only one who still has the same house I did, you know, um, and it's 
it's not impressive or anything like that, but I didn't overbuy because I knew I could. My father warned me about that. He's like, look, don't overbuy on houses. They're just not worth it. And you, at the time, I didn't even have kids. So he's like, you have a four-bedroom house. It's 2,000 square feet. It's not big. You have a four-bedroom house. You don't have any kids. It's more than enough for you. You don't even have furniture enough to fill it. Just get that. If you want a bigger house later on, sell it and move to something bigger. You can trade up at any time, but don't hamstring yourself. And it was one of the best advice he ever gave me. Um, it, it's, but you are, I don't think you're getting that with a lot of millennials now. Look at how they live their lives. Look at how they work. Look at their work ethic and, and at least what their work ethic used to be. Now, a lot of the, and I will say this because two of my protégés are millennials. I taught them everything I possibly could. They're freaking amazing workers. And, you know, they are the, the, my right and left hand at work and they're amazing, but it took like two, three years to get them. But they're two of the people who like came in and they were willing to work. They're like, yep, I want to learn everything. My, I, Anybody listening to this has heard us rant and go on about millennials because we both have the same opinions on them. Uh, I guess the preposition I'm coming up with preposition proposition uh, I'm coming up with with this particular cast today is this is this is actually not getting better. It's getting worse. I I, I don't know. I suspect that it is. The, I don't know how Gen only, Z is going to be. The only ray of hope out there is the few parents that, when the pandemic happened, looked at what their kids were being taught and went, well, fuck this. Um, you know, you look at a lot of these school boards that are being recalled because parents have done that. And I heard it happened once. Has it happened again? Uh, it, it, I know it happened in Virginia. I know it happened in San Francisco. Oh, right um, on. Uh, they, they did like a couple of them in Virginia, in San Francisco. The the only ones that didn't get done were the ones that couldn't yet because of law. But other than that, the entire school board went. Uh, <laughs> and you know, people uh, yeah, are losing I mean, elections for saying things like uh, parents should have no say in how their kids are taught. I, you know, all, all of these things are going on, and but I don't see... It's another one of the ones that I'm seeing a black hole. I'm not seeing a correction in any way, shape, or form. We are still, without question, more worried about how our kids feel. Now, I'm not saying that how our kids feel is not important, but in the process of it, of trying to make sure that our kids don't feel bad about anything, we're not preparing them for the future. I, I At least not for a good one. Uh, it, it's... <sighs> And I think part of what's lost is the ambition and the accountability. Well, I think with those two things, you could you could do a lot, even if you didn't have the skills. And then throw in the selfish aspect of the whole thing. The selfish aspect of the whole thing is if I live that long, I'm going to be sitting there going, waiting for my ass to be wiped. And somebody's going to be going, uh, huh? Well, and that's I think that goes into accountability as well. Like, you know, this isn't my fault. So I can't be blamed. You know, like that's that's part of the accountability thing. I think accountability and ambition, those two things are are fundamentally missing from a lot of the people turning out of school right now. There there's a lot of of uh, entitlement 
And I think that that has really hurt our workforce. And I think part of the thing that came out of the uh, 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 pandemic here is a lot of the older millennials who were just working like they had a job as a barista and they had a job as kind of a, uh, a bartender and they made candles on Etsy and they had all this stuff and they were just making, and they lived in a communal apartment and it's, it's a thing and they lived the urban lifestyle and, you know, they, they were coffee snobs and all that kind of stuff. And when the, the, uh, pandemic happened, they, all of that went away. First of all, second, they had to move back with their parents and they got just, just that huge smack of reality and went, Oh crap. I need, I need to learn how to do this for real. Right. And, and I think that was a really good thing uh, for a lot of people to just get hit with that reality and be like, Oh, I see. I screwed up. And so I, I guess then as to try to bring this around is we, now I know that I, I spent the past, you know, hour or so bitching and I have no answer for this. Do you have a conclusion? an answer well i have several um really it's not going to stop getting worse until several things change one uh parents need to become aware and more engaged in preparing kids for the realities of life you are going to need a job that pays for your bills it doesn't matter I don't care. And in my case, I'm like, look, I don't care what you do. I take very much the same attitude my mother did. I don't care what you do, but you need to have some kind of set of skills that will allow you to become self-sufficient. Um, like you're saying, and I think the way you're putting it is very is very graceful. I won't be around forever to help you. So you're going to need to do something. You know, there's a great line in Shogun. Uh, have you, you ever seen it, read it? Uh, it's been a very long time. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> the, the girl is there and, and he's kind of trapped for the decision and she's like, I'm sorry, Anjin son, but you must do something <laughs> you know, like we can't all just sit here and wait for you to do, like, you must do something. Uh, there's, it's that kind of thing. Your, your parents need to help guide their kids better for the realities of life and prepare them from whatever age it is for the level that they're prepared to, to accept that knowledge at uh, about how things really work uh, on a day-to-day basis. And I think that's largely been, been let go. The other thing is um, as a society, and this one's much tougher because the, the parental thing you can control if you have kids, right? You can control your own actions, with your children and say, okay, I'm going to try now you, you know, your children can just choose not to listen to you. And that's, that's what children do, but at least you will have given them that dose and that, that uh, vision of reality. Uh, as a society, one of the things that we need to do is start, start accepting realities of how things work and, acknowledging the need for that. And what I mean by that is right now they offer to use your example, they offer a career or a, a, uh, a degree in social justice. Does anybody have an opening in that? I mean, is that a job? Is that a thing other than a lawyer, right? If you're, 
you know, trying to, to prepare for a, a you know, a, 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 a job as a lawyer trying to uh, do some morality stuff and, and all that. Uh, okay, maybe. But that's about the only job I can think of that is a social justice degree would cover. Uh, let's, you know, focus more on the things that we need that are practical. Um, you know, and I, I know I harp on that, but but I think Mike Rowe had it right. We need to prepare for things that are out there and, and jobs that we need to get going on and remove a lot of the stigma attached to that stuff. Uh, just because it's not a, a high-end college job or a, a high-end white-collar job doesn't mean it's not worth doing. doesn't mean you can't be happy at it. And there's a huge stigma right now uh, in this country with that. And I think a lot of people could get a lot of not only satisfaction and payment but enjoyment out of doing jobs that they're good at. We just don't value those things right now. And I'm not sure where we lost it. It's It's been in our lifetime for sure. Um, where a blue collar job is just, it's just, you know, like that's how millennials look at that. And I don't, I I don't know why, right? There's no reason for it other than that's what your parents taught you. Well, your parents are fucking idiots, you know, (laughs) like why, why would you do that? So I think those two things would help greatly. Um, one is definitely harder than the other. Well, on that note, let's move over to our media suggestions for the week. We both know what I'm going to talk about, so I'm going to let you go first. <laughs> um, I don't know if I did this one. What did I do last week? Do you remember? I was supposed to remember what you did? Uh, yeah, probably not. Okay, so this week uh, uh, <laughs> I've been watching Only Murders in the Building. Um, B, our friend Beef made me watch it, and I was reluctant and everything, but he goes, no, 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 Selena Gomez, dude. You're going to like it. And I'm like, uh, okay. Well, if and, nothing else, Martin Short and um, oh, they're Steve brilliant. Martin working together is oh, always they're, brilliant. It's They're just brilliant. They really are. And Steve Martin is kind of the straighter guy, you know, the straight man. And, and Martin Short's just being mar- crazy Martin Short, which really works great. And and Selena Gomez is is perfection in it. So I, I was super surprised. Um, Beef was adamant that I watch it. And it's really good. I've really enjoyed the two of them together, considering the fact that they are close friends, and yet their entire act together is them hating each other's guts. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they do it so well. <laughs> it's just great. I mean, it doesn't – and they are. I mean, they've been they've been friends for years. Uh, so I, I didn't think I was going to like it, and I did. So uh, check it out. It's worth watching. Well – I uh, have to recommend The Batman. Uh, I went and saw it this past week. I've actually now seen it twice, and because it needed to be seen twice to take it in. Uh, It is, even above and beyond being a superhero movie, it's an excellent movie. And the way I kind of judge that is, obviously, being a geek, I love superhero movies. But what makes a superhero movie go from being a good movie to from just an entertaining movie is if you took the superhero element out of it, does the story still work? And this does. If if the if Batman weren't a superhero in this, if it weren't Batman and just some detective, this does the story still works. 
they did a lot of interesting stuff with the character of Batman. They did a lot of interesting stuff with the character of Bruce Wayne. There was a little bit of a flip-flop here. Most of these movies, you spend most of your time looking at Bruce Wayne and get a couple of Batman scenes. It's actually very much the opposite in this movie. Um, Robert Pattinson did an excellent job, though for the life of me, I cannot remember his name right now. The gentleman who plays Commissioner Gordon did an excellent job. Uh, though, once again, another person whose name I can't remember. I probably should have looked at IMDb before I started talking about this. But the <laughs> the young man who plays the Riddler uh, plays a young person who is fucked in the head in a way that... Paul Dano. Uh, that that you haven't seen in a while. I heard it described ahead of time before I went and saw it, and I actually had to put the description very, very apt. Uh, I'm assuming you remember the movie Seven. Oh, of course. Okay. If you made Seven a PG-13 movie and replaced Brad Pitt with Batman, that's very much this movie. <laughs> it's got that tone to it. It's got that um, level of psychological thriller. Uh, and, and and as I said, they do a couple of different things with the Bruce Wayne character. The Bruce Wayne character being the fact that he's it's 20 years from when his parents were killed. He's only been doing Batman for two years. And he is emotionally a broken human being. Um, well, and that's what the Batman's supposed to be. Oh, absolutely. He's, he's supposed to be just fundamentally broken and unfixable. And, and that's very much the character uh, progressed here. Uh, it's also a slightly different approach to how Batman does Batman. Uh, because in the past you've either seen him be flamboyantly superhero-ish or the Christian Bale version was, you know, basically a ninja. Uh, the tactics that Batman uses in this one is a whole lot more special forces. His outfit is more special forces. The way he acts is more special forces. You get to see him doing... Uh, you, you always a lot of times get to see after the fact that Batman planned everything out ahead of time and had the had everything worked out. But you actually get to see him do the pre-planning this time. Uh, and you also get to see the character, some actual character evolution from vigilante into hero. From... Uh, you know, I am vengeance to I'm actually here to help people. Uh, it's an excellent, excellent, excellent movie. It was played out very, very well. Not only that, but if you are, Sean, thinking of just waiting till it comes out to something streaming, I would highly recommend going to at least take an opportunity to see this in the theater. The sound design needs to be seen in an immersive situation. The it has got by far one of the best car chases I have ever seen, and the Batmobile is awesome. <laughs> How did Zoe Kravitz and Colin Farrell do? I know they were in the movie. Colin Farrell was excellent. If you didn't know it was Colin Farrell, you wouldn't know it was Colin Farrell. Uh, Zoe Kravitz is actually, though she's been hailed as one of the bright spots of the movie, I think she did an excellent job. But I, I compared to what everybody else did in this movie. I thought she wasn't. She didn't. She didn't shine as well as some of the other people did. Yeah, you were saying Paul Dano did an excellent job with the Riddler. Uh, now I still think that Heath Ledger's Joker is still the best Batman villain that we've seen on the big screen. You will. It will take a very, very convincing person to tell me that Heath Ledger was not the best Batman villain of all time. Did, I, I but, thought he was I, fantastic. But I will say that Paul Dano did a good shot over the bow. Nice. Without question, did a good shot. As the Riddler, which has always been not one of my favorites. Um, well, I, 
I don't know how much you are into comic book stories. I know our friend Op would probably get what I'm about to say oh, yeah. a whole lot faster, which is they pulled from a lot from the, the storyline Hush. So if you're a Batman mm. person, um, the Hush storyline is a little bit is more. They also pulled a lot from The Long Halloween. So it was done a little bit more. Uh, if you know the Hush story, then you know the Riddler gets a bit scarier in that story than just the what you thought of as the Riddler in the past. Well, we're, we're not yeah. talking Jim Carrey. Yeah, I mean, and sometimes they can do stuff like like you're saying, like Jim Carrey. No, but you know, Scarecrow I thought was one of the most ridiculous Batman villains ever, and they made him actually scary in, with uh, 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 God, uh, Cillian Murphy uh, in in Batman Begins. Right. He, they actually made the scarecrow work, which I didn't know how they would do. I'm like, oh, re- really? You're going to do the scarecrow? And it worked. So it, it's not impossible because uh, the, the scarecrow from being what he is in the comics to actually on screen and scary was quite a big jump. I think that takes less of a jump with the Riddler. Um, yes. And but and once again, a lot of very, very practical concepts of if you were in the real world and you did have access to a decent amount of money um but not necessarily access to an entire technological you know research center (laughs) right that you know the only person that only one person ever looked around and went holy shit maybe this guy could be bruce wayne um (laughs) they did that a little bit more viable um bruce wayne is in this movie every bit a hermit and it's it's talked about. Oh, Andy Serkis as um, uh, Alfred was once again amazing. And uh, they, they did one change, which I thought was actually a, a positive. Alfred wasn't their butler. He was their bodyguard. Oh, wow. And actually and that's kind of how uh, Bruce learned a lot of the special forces tactics that he uses. Wow. All I, right. I, I thought that was an actually a good change because, you know, in today's day and age, the, having a manservant <laughs> is probably a little bit much. But the idea that they'd have a bodyguard who was trusted enough to take over their, their, their parenting uh, duties once they were killed, that actually does kind of fit. All right. All right. So uh, once again, I thought it was an absolutely excellent movie. The other thing they've done very, very well without being overtly obnoxious about it is laid a lot of seeds for where it could go in the future. And they but they and they did it without having to they didn't telegraph. Oh, this is next. (laughs) Um, But they but at the same time have left themselves very, very open for a lot of different directions they could go with the storyline. It's not like it's been planted in stone. This is where we're going. Yeah. 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 See, I mean, it's I I'm man, I haven't seen a uh, a show in the theater for since before the pandemic. So over 2 years. Uh well, look, I it, we we talked about it a bit before the the cast. I would highly recommend that this be the one that gets you out of the house even if you have to do like i do which is get up and go for a showing in the morning during the week so that you don't actually have to be sitting next to anybody um you know even if you got to do that it's honestly worth seeing the um you notice it more in the car chase more than anything else but the music and the sound is put together so well that it's uh, you know, 
it's one of those ones where you almost like feel it in your chest. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, I mean, you got me, you got me fairly excited. I was reluctant to say that, uh, just because I knew they did a lot of reshoots and there was a lot of mm, with it, you know, but, uh, it's possible. The other thing is, is, is I really liked the fact that this is Batman learning how to be Batman. He's learning the detective skills that he needs to have. He's, 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 a, he's every bit a, a brilliant, you know, guy, but he's still figuring out you know, the the pathology of the people he's dealing with. He's still realizing that um, it, it's more than just beating up the bad guys. He's still figuring out little things like he has to learn how to deal with heights. You know, you know, you know, how do you ever seen Batman run to the edge of a building and be worried that it's tall? Right. Um, you know, he but he has to figure out how to deal with that and then learns from that. The other thing he's learning is, is the fact of uh as he as things get more interesting he's actually got to be physically more powerful than he is because he's not a big guy he actually dresses himself up to look bigger than he is as batman and starts to realize that his he's, he needs better physicality he needs a better workout program and stuff like that at the moment he's just an emo kid putting on some stuff and beating the shit out of people it's also almost three hours uh okay uh, I am a almost 48-year-old diabetic with the bladder of a four-year-old on a road trip. And I didn't get up to pee in this movie. <laughs> he just exploded. <laughs> no, but my, my point is is that usually a movie, will, I'll try to find a point and usually go out and take a leak at some point. Um, this movie kept me in my seat for three hours, and I did not. it does not feel like a three-hour movie. Wow, that's pretty good. Well, it's it's done 128 million dollars this this weekend, so doing pretty good. I, I would I would say that this is probably the best movie I've seen since the pandemic. Wow, that's pretty heavy. Of course, I haven't seen a lot of movies since the pandemic. So. Well, even you know stuff at home and stuff of that nature. You know the few things that have been seeable in the theater here and there. Uh, the the last movie that actually got my blood boiling this this good was uh, just before the pandemic started, which was Tenet. And this, I would say, was a better movie than Tenet was. Right on, man. Yeah, I, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing if hopefully they'll go forward in the same vein. Well, you never know. Uh, see if uh, I know there was some some creative stuff on this one, but, uh, I suppose with us all coming out of pandemic and, and, uh, with, with wars looming and all that kind of thing, if they can get it together enough to shoot a movie, then we're, we might be in good shape. Well, I I don't know whose vision the final cut was. Whoever is it was did a wonderful job. (laughs) Nice. So got anything else? I think I'm good. Oh, and so am I. And I shall end as I always end. If we are still here next week, we will see you then.